0: Hi, so I actually turn my fan off when doing this, so there shouldn't be any weird background noise or less than normal. Um, My cat, Doug, is sitting like right next to me and he purrs really loudly. So <laughs> I'm hoping that that can be like a weird like ASMR things for you guys. Because Doug's purring always helps me feel um, calmer or safer when I'm not feeling great. So maybe that will help anybody who listens to this episode. Um, no lie, like when I was in treatment and was uh, going through that process was really, really hard. Um... So I, I used to have Doug like come up on my bed when I would come home and would sit there and pet him and listen to him purr to kind of, um, I wouldn't ever, I don't usually take naps like for a long time, but sometimes I'll like close my eyes and rest for like a half hour or something And when I open my eyes back up, I always feel, like, more relaxed and rested. And so his purring helped me, helped. It was weird. Like, his purring and petting him would help ground me after that and would help me be able to, like, calm back down. Um, Yeah, I've just felt, like, I know I've said this for the last, like, week ish probably the last month honestly when I think about it but I've just felt like weird lately like the last three nights um it's been harder to fall asleep than normal like usually I just like usually it takes a little bit for me to get comfortable and everything, but it usually doesn't take longer than, like, um, like, a a half hour or something for me to go to sleep, um, and the last, like, couple nights, like, I'll go to, I'll be, like, really tired, um, like, kind of my, uh, routine for going to bed is uh, usually around nine o'clock, I'll start watching um, these, like, compilation painting videos on YouTube, like, the different artists that do fluid art, just, like, what people call the kind that I do, um, they'll post sometimes these compilation videos where it's just, like, a bunch of paintings in a row with music in the background, and for whatever reason, those are really calming to me, so usually like an hour before I go to bed, I'll just turn some of those on and I'll watch a bunch of them and I'll, um, turn it off at like around 10 something when I am like tired and like my eyes are closing where I can like hardly even concentrate on what I'm watching. And then, you know, turn the lights off and go to bed. Um, but the last, like, couple of nights I've, like, done that and then, I don't know, like, felt, like, more awake. It's really weird because I'll be really tired and then I'll be, like, laying there trying to find a comfortable position to sleep in. And I'll just not be able to sleep Um, for a little while. Like, last night I went to bed at around, like, 12. No, I went to bed... I don't know, like ten thirty, ten forty five and I remember looking to see that it was like midnight and then after that was when I fell asleep. So I don't know. I don't feel like ex like really tired or exhausted. Um like the day went by pretty quickly today, but it is weird, I would say. Um yeah. I, so, there was, there's someone I follow on Facebook, or not Facebook, what am I saying? On Instagram, I hate Facebook, (laughs) hence that comment, but, uh, there's someone that I've followed on Instagram for a really long time, and, um, I say a really long time, even though it's only been probably, like, three years but that seems like a really, really, a really long time. Um, she was one of the first like accounts that I followed that was about complex PTSD when I didn't really know much of anything at all about it or how it really worked or wasn't even sure that I had it or anything like that. Like I, um, it took a really long time for me to, uh, feel more certain than the idea that I had PTSD because, you know, I was used to like my thoughts and emotions being disregarded. So that was hard for me to finally, um, like feel more certain about until like right before I went into treatment. But, uh, it's interesting though, because so this person, I forget her name, her like username, but she has a... Instagram and a YouTube, and I think I found her on YouTube first, because I watched a million videos on child abuse and incest and complex PTSD, like, pretty much any of them that I could possibly find, um, when this all first started, and, uh, she, so she would, she still does videos every, like, once a week or so, but she'll, like, put up a video and use, like, whatever software, so, it's just her talking but you can't see her face as clearly and she'll and she would just do videos talking about whatever things that happened um and it was like a good way for me in the beginning to learn things and it's kind of one of those weird situations where um even though like she seemed quote unquote like ahead of me because she was somebody that I was watching their videos to kind of learn the whole process of figuring out that your mom is a narcissist and, and cutting, having to cut her out of your life and things like that. Um, she is like just now starting to do therapy and get like real help. Um, so it's one of those weird situations where I started watching her when I didn't know anything, but then ended up, but now I've, um, I got help sooner so I started following her looking to her for help and now I'm like finding myself giving her advice. (laughs) Um, But yeah so she made a post the other day talking about how she went to see a therapist and that the therapist couldn't do EMDR so that she was thinking about having to switch and see somebody else and and blah 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 and things like that and um uh, we talked a little bit in her comments and she was asking like oh can you guys tell me like what kind of stuff you did and my response was basically a long thing of saying that like just because she can't do EMDR doesn't mean that you necessarily have to switch to another therapist like you can um, EMDR is in, like, everything, like, you can, it really depends on each person and what you need, um, and things like that, and I told her, like, I did prolonged exposure therapy, and then she was asking questions about, like, what prolonged exposure therapy entails, and, um, I could just tell she was, like, at that point where she wasn't, she was, like, um, Like, when you start therapy, especially, it's really scary to have to learn to trust someone with, like, all of this information, really personal information about your life. And especially when you're really struggling, it's hard to, at first, to, like, trust somebody with your care. Um, Like, they're the ones coming up with a plan and deciding what to do. And so you're always thinking, like, I'm the one who chose... At least this is what I would think. Like, I'm the one who chose this therapist. Like, can I really trust the decisions that I'm making right now when I feel like I can't trust myself at all and I always do the wrong thing? Um, So there's always that time when you're first starting therapy that you kind of am constantly trying to talk yourself out of doing it. And then at some point... Like something happens in therapy that's usually like a big epiphany or something that like shows you that this person knows what they're doing and that they're helping you and you get over that. So I was trying to basically say like, you know, that just because your therapist can't do like this thing that you've heard of doesn't mean or that she said she doesn't think... She was telling me how she, her doctor was saying she didn't think she needed prolonged exposure therapy. And she's like, wouldn't I be the judge of what I need? And I was telling her, like, it really depends on what your trauma is. And your doc and, like, your therapist would have the best idea based on, like, your history and things on what that is. Like, if it doesn't work, then you'll, you know, you can talk about other stuff. But, but I was telling her, like, I tried, like, different things for, like, a year ish like a year and a half before I ever tried prolonged exposure therapy that just happens to be the thing that worked best for me because of my own circumstances um I, talking about it with her it like I guess it made me want to talk about it more in here because I know I talked about what it is what what they do I'm I think in the very beginning of doing this back in like August and September, but it's been a really long time since I did that. And um so I kind of wanted to like re talk about it almost because it's one of those weird things where a lot like I never heard of prolonged exposure therapy until I went to Rogers. Like I had Rogers is where I went for treatment, sorry. But I had no idea what that was. I had never heard of it before. I read, like, so many, like, books by then and watched so many, like, YouTube videos, listened to podcasts, like, um, like, read, like, blogs and stuff, all this, all these things, and i never heard of prolonged exposure therapy before, and I was, so I was a little bit scared of it based on just the name, it sounds scary, (laughs) um, when I started going there, but, and it, I'm not gonna lie, it was really hard, but it did, but it also was really, really, um, effective for me, and it makes me want to talk about it more on here, at least, because so many people don't know anything about it, and, Um, there's so much talk about like EMDR and I'm not trying to say that there's anything wrong with that, which, because of course, if it works for you, then there's nothing wrong with it. But the question is more of when it doesn't work for you, like, what do you do? Um, and yeah, so, um, like I, I just um, want to talk about what this is in the way that at least in like the platform or whatever that I have in the hopes that even a couple people hear about it and maybe can look into it and get some help because there are prolonged exposure therapy therapists. That sounds weird, but there's therapists that can do it that not everyone can do it. You have to be trained in it like everything else. But you can Google, you know, prolonged exposure therapy in, in like the city that you live in and find somebody if this seems like something that might work for you or if EMDR hasn't worked for you. Because basically, um, so I did the episode a couple of weeks ago about my horrible therapist that I had for the first like eight months. Like, um, that I, in basically all of 2018, I was seeing this therapist that I didn't realize until after was not a good therapist that didn't actually do anything to help me and just ended up, like, help me when I told, when I confronted my mom about the abuse and things, but after that, um, just helped make my life harder, basically. Um, so I didn't, I couldn't see another therapist until, so the, it was like two weeks before Christmas when I stopped seeing the first one and it, that's a whole dramatic story. You can listen to the other episode if you want to hear it. Um, but after that, I didn't see another therapist until April, um, of the next year because I was unemployed then I didn't have insurance. So, and I got a job at the end of February and it took like a month before I had health insurance which actually uh, for the U.S. that's not bad at all like a lot of places in the U.S. will make you some jobs will make you work there for like three months or six months or something before they'll give you health insurance so I was glad it was only I only had to wait a month um and I, like, made the appointment at this place. Like, I had, like, a place ready to go as soon as possible. Um, so the therapist I saw there was really good at EMDR. And the office that I went to was, like, after every... Th- I met up with a psychiatrist as for, like, a one-time appointment, which is who helped me realize how like bad of a therapist my first therapist was and she re- she recommended going to this office that it was in the office itself was everyone in it like all the different practitioners were all um, trauma-informed therapists and when people say that what that means is that they know like EMDR like body memories prolonged exposure therapy and those things are things that only people with like complex trauma or just severe trauma or PTSD um use and so you have to be trained in how to do that so those are like if you're seeing a therapist and you don't know if they're really trauma informed or not because every therapist on psychologytoday.com can say that trauma is one of their specialties but if they have no idea what EMDR is or or anything like that, then that's how you know that they're not, and you can find somebody else. Um, But so I went to that therapist, and I don't remember her name, but it was just because I was such a huge mess then. She was a really good therapist. She helped me a lot. She's the one that said I should go um, go into treatment when I did. And so we did... EMDR and there's body it's called something else besides body memories but that's basically what it is to kind of have like certain memory body memories come back and it was very it felt very like it was really helpful because the things that I did like doing EMDR and body memory stuff Um, like a couple more little things, like little things and memories came back and that just kind of helped put everything together. Once I was in treatment, it would have been a lot harder. I think for me to remember everything that I did when I was in treatment without doing that. Um, but basically when I did EMDR, I would do it and for like a week, or so like for a week about after I did it I would feel better like not as depressed and horribly sad as I usually would be Su like suicidal thoughts wouldn't be there as much and but then after like a week or so I would just go back to how I felt before but because the EMDR tended to help you remember things I would usually have a little bit more details so I would just end up feeling even more depressed than I was even before I did it. Which is when my therapist was like, okay, I think you need to go to um, this place uh, to go to treatment at Rogers, the name of the hospital I went to. I did outpatient care, but still. Um, Because the EMDR and stuff wasn't... Like, doing EMDR is supposed to help you um, help the, like, depression side of PTSD and help it, help make it easier for you to, like, function in life so you can work on, like, the other parts of it. But it wasn't, it was only helping for, like, a week at a time and then it was just, I felt, like, worse than what I did before. Um, so if you've done EMDR for a while and you're kind of having similar experience, um, Yeah. Maybe listen to this. So prolonged exposure therapy, it's not, nothing that you do with like, in like the mental health world where you go to therapy and do like a certain modality to try to like better yourself is easy. Like the whole concept of going to therapy to talk about the things that you've never dealt with, um, is hard just by definition, but Um, prolonged exposure therapy definitely is not easy it's really hard and like one of the things that they said to us when I was in therapy or at the beginning of treatment um, was like it does kind of feel like you're torturing yourself but that you have to but if you continue on it does work and yeah that's very much true Um, I honestly think that the one of the best things in when I was in treatment was that we had like a group thing every day I forget what time it was always after lunch though for like an hour where everyone would be in there and there was like some when you're there for a while like I was there for like six weeks and then they have to like step you down to only being there for part of the day In the beginning, I would be there from, like, 8.30 to, like, 2.30. Um, But health insurance companies are horrible, and they will only pay for somebody trying to make their lives better for so long before they threaten to not pay anymore. And so they step you down to um, this other program that's half the day. So you would come in either in the mornings, like, 8.30 to, to, like... 11 or, um, or you come in like 1 to 3 or 3 30 or something like that. I think 1 to 3 30 was the other time. Something, it doesn't matter, but you get the point either in the mornings or the afternoons. Well, the people that are still like just starting are there for, like all day still. Um, so when I first started, there were two people that were there that had been there for a while that were one was in like the mornings and one was in the afternoons and um one of them like graduated from the program after i only been there for like two days and they talked about like how much progress she made and things like that and the other one left after about uh after a couple of weeks but Seeing the two of them, like, talk about how I know it seems crazy to do what you're doing, but it really does work, and I do feel better and things like that, um, made, a, like, a big impact on me. And it, it's weird because I know that when I was leaving, um, like, when I was leaving the program at the end, that there were, like, new kids there that um, I was doing the same thing for, that they saw that I was doing better and was improving and things like that um and I probably was the same kind of thing like well if she will feel better after going through this then I can handle it kind of feeling um because the the basic thing that you do with prolonged exposure therapy like they have you make a list of I forget what they call them but they're they're all exposures but the general idea behind it is that the things that trigger us, um, we avoid, like, looking at them or um, anything like that. And the more and more we avoid things that trigger us, the less and less things in life we can do. Um, so the idea is to expose yourself in this, like, safe setting where there's a therapist and other, and other people, like, there's a, like, even though you have a therapist at this place that I went to, there was multiple other therapists. There's always, like, somebody that's, like, the therapist boss, kind of overseeing everything they're doing, um, even if you see someone who just does this in a private practice, but anyway, so you, you, you do this in a safe setting so that, um and kind of do it little bits at a time to kind of rewire your brain, so it's not triggered by these things that you used to be triggered by, so that you can do them um, again. And like an example of that would be, um, like when I first started, one of the, um, one of the. What am I trying to say? Oh yeah. Like I think the two first um ones that I did was to look at the album cover for Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen and um and the killer's C D, like any killer C D um and to read facts about suicide. Because then, if whenever I would just hear the word suicide or people would just mention things about it, it would trigger me. And I would like see things in my head and I wouldn't want it there. Um, and the CD is Bruce Springsteen is my mom's like favorite musical artist. And we grew up listening to his Born to Run. CD. Um, so I hadn't been able to listen to his music, even though I actually really enjoy his music for like, for a while at that point. And my dad loved, I loved the killers too, but my dad actually really liked the killers. He used to watch like one of their DVDs when he had dimension stuff and would like sing along. Um, so it became like something associated with him. Uh, so I I couldn't listen to them anymore, and I really listened. I I really missed listening to them, so doing those exposures, I would listen to them for like little bits at a time. Um, I forget how long, like um, like thirty seconds, and or a minute, or a minute and a half, or something like that. In the longer, and I would write down every, every time I did it on a scale like how basically like upsetting it was like how much I panicked and as the numbers got lower and lower like when you got to like down to like one or zero then you know it wasn't triggering you anymore and you could move on to the next thing that was the basic idea of those like I remember that the album cover ones took a little bit but they didn't take as long but there were some of them that I never even got past like there was one that I was trying to do about like the whole thing with food and texture and how there's so many things that I can't eat so I was trying to force myself to eat yogurt with like fruit and stuff in it because that's one of those things I can't eat but I couldn't do it um (laughs) so um so there's that and uh like I did it for a while and my therapist was like you know you we don't have to do this if 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 this isn't something that's super important to you obviously you can just not eat this kind of yogurt you'll be fine and I was like oh thank god because it was yeah it was basically making me miserable Um, but there were some like just for an example um loud noises and especially like angry sounding noises is something that has always has always bothered like been a huge trigger it still is like, I did an episode a couple of days ago talking about how someone having a three-second conversation with me sent me, like, off, like, being scared for hours on end. <laughs> so, um, and that includes music. Like, it's one of those weird things, because I talk on here about Chester Bennington, that I, it always, like, defied me how much I always liked Linkin Park, because, they had the like he would scream in some of the songs and I couldn't handle that with any other music artist like any other artist like that who would scream and yell and stuff I would get really scared and I would turn it off and sometimes with those songs the like the some of the songs that like, he did that and I didn't really listen to or didn't like when I was younger because they would still be too much for me um But I think that with him, I think the fact that his lyrics were, like, real and authentic and exactly what I was going through is why I found myself listening to them still um, and enjoying their music still. Um, But, yeah, it makes sense, like, why One Step Closer is the song where they, he just yells, like, shut up when I'm talking to you. And, like, I love that song now, but it makes sense why their song In the End was the one that really got my attention and made me really like them because there's no screaming in that song. Um, but yeah, one of, so one of my exposures was to listen to, like, like, screaming kind of rock music, like, screaming, like, death metal or whatever you want to think of to try to get rid of that so it's not as bad. Um... And that one was hard. Like, my sister's boyfriend listens to, like, Bullet for My Valentine and people and bands like that. So um, the kind of bands where they just, I like their music, like the loud guitars and crazy drums. But they're, the singer basically just, like, screams words, but you can't even hear what they're screaming. They're just kind of screaming. I know they're saying words, but it's so, you can't even understand them those kind of bands so like when I first started doing that I would like have like a a flashback like I would run into the um closet in my bedroom at the time and like hide in the corner and be like convinced that like my dad was out there on the other side of the closet ready to like scream at me and attack me and it would take forever for me to like for the rational part of my brain that's telling me over and over again that he's dead. You know he's dead. Nobody's there. You're fine. You're safe. Nothing, nobody's in your apartment. Nothing can hurt you like that. Um, But that's the example of a flashback. It wasn't as bad as like some flashbacks can be, but that's what mine were like when I did have them. And so yeah, so that's kind of the example of those kind of exposures. Uh, I forget the name of them now. They're two different kinds. This that was out. Those kind of exposures are the more simple, like, not simple, but they're easier than the other one. Um, but they are still really important because, like, I can listen. I can hear, like, that kind of screaming music now and not completely, like, and not, like, need to go run and hide in the closet because I'm triggered and terrified and have like flashback to when I was a kid like it still makes me feel really uncomfortable um like I just feel unsettled and like I need to go there's always this feeling of like I'm not safe and I need to go do something to make myself safe when I hear that stuff but I can sit there and hear it and kind of sit in the uncomfortableness for a little bit if I have to um and before I couldn't do it at all and so the other part of prolonged exposure therapy, that's like the more part where it feels like you're torturing yourself, um, is called, God, I can't remember what that, that this kind of exposure is called, but it will be obvious if you would talk to a therapist about it, but it's where you retell the story of like, whatever, whatever memory is are like doing the intrusive thought thing that like keep popping up and bothering you. Um they um they they have you like sit down, they kind of like turn the lights down um and close your eyes and they have you like tell the story of whatever that memory is as if it's happening like the first time it happened and they have you even like they you talk about it in like the first person or whatever like it's happening right now you use like the words that you would have used when it happened to kind of help you get into like the headspace of um the experience because like the memory that I had that like some people that I went to treatment with they like dealt with one memory and then moved on to another one I had the same one the whole time I was there and it never really got much easier but um the one I had was from when I was like nine or ten so when I went through it I would try to use words that like a nine or ten year old version of me would use instead of the adult words and the idea behind it is that like with with anyone who's dealt with like PTSD and trauma and like repressed memories kind of resurfacing um is that they're not they don't come back in like logical order like there's no logic to them they don't come back in like chronological order at all they just kind of you get like these little bits and pieces as more time goes on, like, the more you go to therapy and the more you work on it, the more things come back. But they don't come back in, like, you know, one, like, one, like, in a row. So they're really confusing. Um, like, it takes a little bit, like, you don't really know, like, what happened when or when this happened or if this is before this or after this. And, then, and so the idea of doing these, that kind of exposure where you retell the story and uh it helps like bring more memories back just by kind of talking as if you're there in the moment helps things come out and it also helps like get everything in order in your mind like this happened and then this happened and then this happened because it just the way of retelling it over and over again just helps you with that and um so that's what you do so, and like as you tell it like the um your therapist will ask you questions that like help kind of elongate the story like the first time I told it I think it was only like 30 seconds long because I didn't know what to say and then like the more and more you do it the longer and longer it is because you talk about like the like physical sensations like what How did your body feel? Or what were you doing? And then you talk about like the emotional things. Of like what did you feel? Um, Or like. What were were you upset? Were you mad? Were you angry? Things like that. Um, Yeah. So the thing that. Of why I think that this. Prolonged exposure therapy. Is really good for incest victims. Particularly. Is that. It helps it it helped me realize that like what was that the abuse that was done to me was not my fault and I don't know if I would have ever kind of reached that epiphany without doing something like this so when I was in treatment because you know we are in this treatment program like if you saw a therapist it would be a little different because you would only see them like once a week but since we saw them more often we would Retell basically like the we would do the exposure, which is retelling it. We would go in our therapist's office and they would like turn the lights down a little bit. Um, they would have us close our eyes and we would do it and they would record it, um, on just you know a little one of those recorder things that like an attorney or something would use to like dictate into. Um, so on Tuesdays and Thursdays usually. I would go in there on those days and have to retell it. And on the days that we didn't, that I didn't have to redo it, like say, say it again, um, including the weekends, I would have to listen to the recording of myself doing it every day. And so like when I would pet my cat, Doug, when I would be panicking and and stuff and needed grounding was when was after I had listened to that pretty much like sometimes I would feel myself dissociating and and not really um being in my body as much or not listening to the recording as much but I would try to force myself to stay because I knew that was the whole point of it there's no point to it if I do it and then I don't really even stay in my body enough to even listen to what I'm saying um but it took like two months basically of me doing it twice a week um and listening to it every day I never like skipped there was only one day I think that I skipped um but other than that I listened to it every day and um it took like two months of that for me to realize that what happened to me was not my fault because it was just such an ingrained thing it was like one of those like truths of my life at that point was that it was my fault and that there's like the way I looked at it was just there's something wrong with me like that's why my dad did this to me that's why my mom let my dad do this to me because obviously there was something wrong with me he could tell that there was something wrong with me, which is why he picked me and did this to me. Um, So like when you think like that, it's just so, I can't even put into words how damaging it is to not even just to like everything about you, like how you see yourself, the way that you live, the people that you choose to have in your life or not have in your life, your job, everything. It's just because That's where all of, like, the suicidal feelings were always coming from, was, you know, that I somehow, like, deserved this, that I did something wrong in order to make it happen. Like, I don't want to trigger anyone too much, but I do remember, like, one of the things I can share about that, the horrible memory that I redid, was that one of the things I always thought when it first started was, like, what did I do wrong? Because I felt like he was punishing me for something um and that had been around and like my mom not doing anything about it once I told her just exacerbated all of those the feelings they already had about myself um so it took like two months of going through it but after like a month and a half or so it started shifting to like afterwards we would when I like said it out loud or listen to it, we would fill out this little worksheet that said, like, how did you feel? And the first, like, month and a half or so, it was things, like, that I felt like I was disgusting, that I needed to go take a shower and things like that. And after, like, a month and a half, it started shifting to, like, what is wrong with him, that he did that, and putting the responsibility for what happened on him and my mom instead of on me and but i really don't think i i don't know how long it would have taken me like forever if i ever realized it um i don't think i ever would have realized that it that what happened wasn't my fault without doing something like this that's so repetitive and it is really hard to go over this memory over and over again and to have to like describe it more and describe how you feel and things like that more it's not easy at all that's the part that feels like it's almost torturous in a way but doing that is the only way that it really like clicked in my head that like oh like this doesn't this doesn't isn't a reflection on me this is a reflection on him and I really don't think that I ever would have figured that out without kind of being able to go through the experiences of it in that way over and over again and realize like I don't even remember what it was that my therapist said but he just asked me a question once after one of the visits after like a month and a half and also it just like started clicking in my head that like oh like yeah why am I blaming myself for this when I didn't do anything to make this happen it's kind of like the thing that Like, one thing that a lot of, that sometimes happens when, um, incest victims are in the beginning of their kind of healing or journey or confronting everything is that sometimes people will have them see, like, a kid that was the age that they were, um, when the abuse started to kind of, that's, that's actually one of the things that triggers a lot of, um, victims, like, incest victims, is that they'll, ha- if they have kids, sometimes when women are pregnant and give birth, that can cause it to happen. But sometimes when you have a kid and the kid is the age that you were when the abuse like started, it like all of a sudden all of the like repressed memories come back and it makes you see because you see this other child that you love. That's your, like, even if it's not your child, a lot of times it happens when it's your kid, but, like, you know, you're around this child, that's the age that you were, you see how, like, young and innocent and naive you were, and that there's no way you could have done something wrong to, to make that happen, um, and so that is a lot of times the thing that, like, triggers memories coming back or, like, making you actually tell people about what happened and deal with it because you finally see, like, how young and innocent you were. So it's kind of, like, the therapeutic version of that. It's obviously more, like, that's a complex idea in, it, in itself. Um, And there's a whole step-by-step process. But that's why, like, it's really important that if you want to do this, that you do that with a therapist who can control the environment that you're in so that you because obviously if you try to do that yourself it would be really easy to just make yourself even more suicidal and things like that like it is a really good tool though for because before that like when I first started there I felt like I couldn't remember anything that I could only remember like a tiny bit of what happened and then when I started like retelling the story I heard myself saying these things that I realized that I never realized that I even remembered because they were just, I don't know, just like telling it made things like piece together in my mind a lot easier. And like, it it does help kind of things come back. Like, um, I'm seeing a new therapist tomorrow, um, tomorrow morning at like 9am actually. And this one is, more trauma informed than the other one that I was seeing before and part of me wants to I don't even know if she's if she knows prolonged exposure therapy but like if she seems like a good fit like I would want to um I'm like tempted to almost see if we could somehow do that like over zoom or something like that because I would have my eyes closed the whole time anyway to try to do that with a different thing, um, involving my mom, because, um, yeah, that's something else that I've, uh, that I, like, remember a little bit, but I don't remember really much from it, and it's pretty, um, like, what I do remember is pretty traumatizing, so I almost want it try that to try to like piece those memories together just so I have it where I don't think about it anymore because that's the other thing that happens is that once you have like the memories like organized in your brain and you kind of process through how you felt you don't think about it anymore like the memories that the memory that I had of my dad that I spent three months working through in therapy I used to those those like memories different parts of them used to just pop into my head like those intrusive memories that would just like pop out of nowhere would just like come into my mind Um, all the time like every day more than once a day they would just all of a sudden be there after I finished with treatment um, that never happened I've never they've never popped into my mind like that the only time I ever um, it's really rare for me to like see them again but it's when I'm trying to, when I'm trying to think about it most of the time. Sometimes like when people if I'm like reading something online or something like that that talk that is using like sexually explicit kind of wording um, like really explicit words to explain like sex that somebody was having or it's usually things that take me by surprise um like if I'm like if I'm watching a a true crime video and like this happened the other night I was watching a video of Stephanie Su's and the end of the story there ended up being like an aspect of incest in it and I was wondering if there was going to be, cause she titled the video that there's like a dark family secret that caused a murder, but it, I still wasn't like completely expecting it when it did happen. So after I watched that, I, um, had like some memories like of that kind of pop into my head a couple times before I went to sleep, but it still, it happened like two times and then I went and I went to sleep fine that night and was okay. Um, But like before, it would be way more. And so unless it's something like they're talking like really explicit sexual language of the thing that is the memory, um, or I'm surprised by somebody talking about someone going through incest when I'm not expecting it to come up in a way, um, then... Then they would, they would kind of like little things would kind of flash into my head. But other than that, they like never show up there. Like the only time I really ever see those memories anymore is if I'm trying to remember them on purpose because I'm just trying to remember a part of it for whatever reason. Um, that's it. Otherwise, I never see them anymore, which is amazing because I used to see it like all day, every day so like that's why I like really advocate really hard for this kind of thing and like this kind of treatment is really intense and it's it's very like repetitive and systematic and it takes a long time to go through it like not it not everyone takes like three months to go through it like I did um like I said there are other people in treatment that had other that like after like a month or so of working on a certain memory was able to process it and move on to the next one but um, but, um, uh, but it's more of just that I feel like when you're an incest victim or you're a victim of child sexual abuse, particularly this kind of treatment works really well for you because, um, because a lot of like the, cause just of what it does, like there's a lot of um kind of self-beliefs that we have or beliefs about the world or our family or the people involved or whatever that aren't completely right. But we've had these like beliefs about ourselves for so long that it takes a lot to kind of override that and show that they're not right and change them. And so something... And it's been around for so long of our lives that something kind of like systematic and repetitive and um, almost like torturous sometimes like this is like the best way for us to really have those epiphanies happen because going through it over and over and over again um, and kind of thinking about different parts of it and makes you helps you realize certain things um like when I was doing this was like the first time I ever said that I felt like I was being tortured and I like that was how I felt when that was going on I felt like I was a prisoner and that I was trapped and I couldn't get out and my parents I thought every day that my parents were going to kill me um so Like, but that, doing that was, like, the first time I was able to, like, put it into words because it's so hard for us to try to sometimes just express ourselves because of everything we've been through. But, like, that kind of um, treatment is good for us because we have such, we have things that have been, like, sitting and festering inside of us for so long that have never gotten, we've never been able to get help for because of whatever situation we happen to be in that, um, going through something like this is the way to finally be able to do it and work through it and realize that what happened to us was not our fault. And which of course brings up a whole entire other group of problems. Like that was some of the most painful stuff was when I got to the point where I realized that this wasn't my fault. So my parents could have helped me and they didn't. Um, and then like, that's a whole nother level of like stuff, but, it was, it was almost like weirdly welcome because I had spent so long blaming myself that it was nice to be able to be like, oh, I can be pissed at these people because these are people, these are the ones that actually caused this. It wasn't actually me. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, but either way, like that's why that this worked for me. And this is why I think it would work for other incest victims or child sex abuse victims. But that's also why I say that it doesn't necessarily work for everybody. Like that person I was talking to on Instagram, her mom is a narcissist. So she did go through, you know, everything that narcissists put you through. But from what she has said, she hasn't gone through any sort of sexual abuse. Um, So I, uh, you don't need to go through like sexual abuse, honestly, to do it. Although a lot of the people that I was in treatment with had, but, um, I feel like, like with her, I'm not sure that she would really, um, that it would help her in the same way that maybe like something like EMDR or just like CBT or DBT and things like that might help her deal with, Her mom and her memories more than something as almost as extreme as prolonged exposure therapy can be for her. Cause, and I'm not. I hate the whole thing of like, oh, uh, you know, people's um, people's abuse is worse than mine. Everyone's abuse is horrible. It's not a fucking contest. It's just different. Like for her, it was more from what she said, it's more like verbal and mental things fucking you up. Like, like that's kind of like my mom's side of it. Um, and that's why I'm not sure if I can do prolonged exposure therapy for something I have in mind for my mom, but, um, because it's more like gaslighting and stuff, but for gaslighting, I'm not sure that that like something where you like are forcing yourself to stay in the mindset that you were when something happened is the same because gaslighting is more like it's more like things happening over and over and over again um and like or like denying your emotions or how you feel or telling you telling you what you should be feeling instead of you being able to just express how you feel and being yourself I'm not sure that that it works as well with something like that so that's why it's kind of like a even though i really love prolonged exposure therapy i i'm never going to say that this is like the key to fixing everyone i think it is for people who have like severe like complex trauma that they didn't get help for for a really long time with like sexual abuse or physical abuse or whatever because we have certain mindsets that we're set in for so long that we don't even realize how to... Like, we don't know how to get out of them. We don't even see it as an option that this can help with. But not everybody um, would get the same thing out of that. But if you listen to this, hopefully you enjoyed listening to this about this kind of therapy. Hopefully in the least it's gotten you to google it and see what information you can learn about it see if it's right for you or not um yeah